Let's pray again. Lord, we pray you would take the bare bones and skeletons of not only my thoughts, but Mark Green's thoughts, and put your flesh and your muscle upon them, that they might not only speak into our individual lives, but they might speak to us as a community of believers here in Fitzroy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you what we're doing in this uh, series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. Um, Somebody said to me, and I thought it was great, I love this series because it doesn't demand anything more of us than what we're doing in our everyday lives. It's not about trying to um, chastise or tell you you should be involved in a hundred other things. It's all about where we are, well, later today, never mind tomorrow morning at nine o'clock or whatever time your week might begin. It's about what our front lines are and how we can be more fruitful for God on those front lines. We have um, been thinking about uh, Mark Green's book of that title and he has six M's he calls them and we've looked already at modeling fruit of the spirit in our front line, on our front line, how making good work on our front line is of the kingdom, how to do that we need to minister in grace and love And last time out, we were thinking about how we mould the culture of our front lines by how we inspire our influence. The Lord has supplied a pound to the building fund right there. (laughs) And woke me and you up in the process. Those four M's. And um, we come to another today being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Let me share something outside of our own personal for a moment that might fit in. It's been something I've been surmising and pondering and I think it's got relevance to this truth and justice that we're thinking about today. Over recent weeks, I have come become concerned more than ever, maybe. But much uh, more than that, I've been trying to find out what is going on in the depths of our Protestant tradition. Maybe church tradition, theological tradition, cultural tradition, whatever you might call it, that allows MLAs to use the most vicious attacks on other, in their wording, crude, rude, racist attacks. We had it on people in West Belfast. We had it on people who speak the language. We've even had it between Protestant unionist communities live or at least on television news. And as I started to ponder it, I started to think, these are the moments where you start to think, this is going out on the website, should I ask them to stop taping for a moment? But no, we'll not. It seems to me that what we see on the other half of the house politically is a charm offensive by nationalist Republican. A charm offensive. It's almost as if they've gone to charm school and they are strategic in how they do their business. Now my reckoning is that the charm offensive is a strategic way to do what they're wanting to achieve. It will not only get them votes in their own communities but it might in the longer term help them to get to where they want to be wherever. Now, if you take that and then you ask yourself, as I'm asking myself, why are the unionists so rude and crude 
Is it getting them votes in their communities? Is it just a strategic? And if it is, what does that say about the community that we are in some sense part of because we're a Presbyterian church this morning and that I'm in some sense part of because I'm a Protestant minister this morning? It's irrelevant to what we're speaking about this morning. Speaking truth and justice on the front line is vitally, vitally important. How we do it is equally important. And I wonder as I ponder this, and I haven't got to any conclusions whatever, I'm disturbed by it, but I haven't come to any conclusions about it. Is there a separation between what some of these politicians do in their private faith and what they do in the public square maybe not but I imagine they don't speak into their family situations with the same visceral viciousness that we see them speaking of communities in our city and in our country it's easy to separate the personal from the public which in fact might be the reason for this entire series because maybe we think our spirituality is our prayer life and our reading of the scriptures devotional life and that it's got nothing to do with what we do at nine o'clock tomorrow morning or wherever our fault lines are during the week we would want of course in Fitzroy particularly to try and make sure we are not dividing up our thoughts and just one more thought I would fight and have blogged very strongly that none of our politicians, none of our MLAs should leave their faith beliefs at the door of Stormont when they go in to discuss any of the issues. What I would long for is that they didn't leave their Christian values and how they speak to others at the door when they go in either. We'll come back to that, I think, as we go on this morning. But let's get to our reading this morning, which was the earlier in the week reading that Roberta needed and David and Richard needed for the worship. It's still an important reading, but there will be another reading later that's maybe more in keeping with the direction we're going. Stephen McElwain did a wonderful series with us recently about how to read our Bibles. And when he spoke about the law, if I'm getting this right, it's very it's tricky sometimes when uh, you're paraphrasing back to somebody who spoke what you think they said. Um, But uh, it seems to me that what Stephen was telling us, particularly in that last part of his How to Read the Bible series, was was what the law was about, which was this nation going into the promised land and God basically giving them a framework of how they should live in that promised land. A framework of how they should deal with one another, how they should deal with God, how they should deal with the widow, the orphan, the poor in that land. So these laws were all given in such a way that not only would they have a framework, a moral, spiritual, religious framework as to how to live, but I think what Stephen was pointing out was that one of the significant parts of this was that they would somehow be different, radically different than all the other nations around them. This was God's way and we would live God's ways in order to be significantly different than the nations around And within that law, God has great concerns for truth and justice, love of the stranger, the poor and the widow. So we come to this morning's reading in Amos, one of the prophets. 
And what the prophets are doing is they're looking at the nation and they're asking the nation, how are we doing? How are we living up to this way that God has given us to live that is different than the other nations around us? And Kim read it. And God is telling the people at this point that they are not doing very well at all. But what were the words that were coming through in this reading from Amos 5 that Kim read? Justice appears so regularly through this particular passage. And in fact, in verse 10, we have truth and justice in the same verse. There are those who hate the ones who uphold justice in courts and detest the one who tells the truth. When God declares that he knows the sins and their offenses, what are they? There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. If we went on down into the rest of the chapter, we have those words that we hear so often perhaps when justice is spoken of in churches. Away with the noise of your song. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice rule on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Within God's ways for a nation to live, for the shaping of a nation, we find that justice, truth, and love are not three separate things in the process, but they are three things that are blended very much in the same, and they make the nation different than the nations around about. So let me come to another reading and let me read it to you and let me ponder this for a moment. King David, Second Samuel, one of the kings, and again the kings are judged, Stephen reminded us, as to how they have dealt with the law, etc., 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 in those books of history. But in Second Samuel, David, who was the king, the king who was commended by God, is on a downward spiral. When other kings had gone to the war, he didn't. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. He got himself involved with Bathsheba, somebody else's wife. In order to cover that, he then got the husband of Bathsheba killed on the front line. That is not the keeping of the law or the king that God would want. So how does God deal with it? God sends a prophet, Nathan. This is what Second Samuel chapter 12 says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are 
the man. This story is an incredible story of how Nathan, a prophet, comes to David. And in this parable, the power of which Jesus sees in his New Testament ministry, in this parable, he allows David to be exposed within himself and what he had done. There's issues of truth and justice here. Of course, in the law, if a stranger came, you should look after him. But of course, in the law, you should be looking out for the poor. So, of course, what this story is about is how this man is disobeying the law in at least a couple of places. And, of course, it points back to David, who took somebody else's wife and who even had them murdered. Nathan could have addressed, and this is Mark Green's commentary on it, Nathan could have addressed David as a husband. How would you like it if somebody took your wife? Could have addressed him as a commander-in-chief. Imagine if you took one of your soldiers' wives. What's that going to do to the morale on the front line? Never mind if one of them killed. He could have addressed the family name. Now look, the name of Jesse's going down the hill here because look what you've done. He could have addressed his religion and said, is this really what the law tells us is the way we should live? But Nathan addresses justice. David's a judge. And so he comes to him as a judge and he sees this entire episode of the fallen from grace David, the sin of David's life as an issue of justice. But the justice and the truth that comes out in this story is not in order to condemn or damn David. It's in order that David might be set free. Because the justice and truth of God comes with the love of God. So as a result of Nathan coming and telling this story so that David realized the injustice of his act and the lies that are going on within him, and the way that Nathan tells David the truth and stands for justice in this case leads David to where? Damnation? No. It leads David to redemption. Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When truth and justice is brought into the life of David, love and grace follows to bring restoration and redemption. So that in Acts chapter 13, way hundreds of years later, Paul can say that David was a man after God's own heart even with this fall that he was brought in front of by the prophet Nathan. Speaking truth and justice into the world is not to bring its damnation, but to bring a door and a window for God's salvation. Now, how would that change our own attitude to speaking about truth and justice in our front lines. Because perhaps in our front lines we're a bit wary of that. 
Steve, you're not really telling me that tomorrow morning I've got to go in there and say, guys, this is unjust. Guys, you're not speaking the truth here. We've got to deal with this. Because if you did that and I went in to condemn, then what are going to be the consequences of that? Maybe there's something within us that's more wanting to graciously deny or avoid the truth and justice. What we need to see is that grace is not separated from truth and justice, but truth and justice leads us into a place where grace can have its way wherever the place. Nathan comes, he tells the truth, he speaks about justice, and David finds that in repentance and awareness that it's him, that this truth and justice leads him to redemption and a second chance, as Jonathan was sharing with us last week. But the other thing about Nathan, and it might be for another Sunday, is the technique. The technique, he thinks very carefully before he comes to the man who murdered somebody's husband to get his wife. You're the prophet, God says to you, Do you see what David's doing? Yep, we all see what David's doing. He's actually on the murder trail at the moment. Well, I tell you what, Nathan, you go and sort it out. Me go and sort it out? How am I going to do that? What's the best way? What's the best approach to this? How am I going to ambush David to see himself so that he condemns himself rather than me doing the condemning? So in these ways of truth and justice, we've got to be strategic and discerning about how we go about sharing it. In the, um, in the Mark Green book, Mark Green talks about John Wyatt, a professor of neonatal pediatrics at the University College London. And he talks about him being involved in this very heated debate about abortion. You can imagine John Wyatt's coming from the Christian perspective on the issue. And what Green says really amazed him in this heated debate that he was at. Read the book if you want more of the details, was the way that John Wyatt and indeed the person on the other side of the debate debated. They debated in a way that was gracious. And when he spoke to Wyatt after it, who took many hits for his stance on abortion and for his Christian faith becoming part of his work, John Wyatt said this to him. One of the things I learned from John Stott was that it is often more important how you debate than whether you win the argument. Let me read that again. One of the things I learned from John Stott was that it is often more important how you debate than whether you win the argument. We are to model dialogue and double listening, one of Stott's great ideas, listening humbly and reverently to God's word and listening humbly humbly and attentively to the world. The other thing I remember John Stott saying is it is important to engage with our opponents' best arguments and not their worst arguments. So rather than creating a straw man and then destroying it, which is what so-called public debate is all about, there should be a genuine quest for dialogue and understanding. I wonder if it's similar to what 887 people plus me tweeted yesterday, which was this phrase that came up that said, the biggest problem is that we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. We don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. 
And somehow in Nathan's technique, and these words of John Wyatt, John Stott, via Mark Green, and that tweet yesterday, the biggest problem is that we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. We've come back through the personal truth and justice of our front line, back to Stormont. Oh, if our politicians listened to understand and not to reply. Oh, if our politicians took a John Stott approach to debate and Stormont, where the way you debate is more important than whether you win the argument or not. Grace in the way we go about sharing the truth and justice that needs to be shared, whether in Stormont, whether in the classroom or the staff room, whether in the office or the factory floor, whether your home or your community or your church. The way we go about it is as important as winning the argument. Truth and justice leading to love. Now, we're coming to your conclusion, you'll be glad to know. The one problem I find about these going up on the web is that I can go in later in the week and see how long I went on for. Here are my struggles with this particular part of Mark Green's six M's. My struggle was looking for examples Those of us on the front line, all of us on a front line, where have we spoken in for truth and justice in recent days? Now, can I ask, honestly, I'm not asking this for a fact. If there are those places that you have, I would really love to hear them because I think it would be really helpful, maybe even to do an evening where we heard people's stories. I think it might be a way that we follow up this series of hearing people's stories of front lines where something has worked or something has happened because Mark Green talks about some of those that he knows in his book, not all of which I was particularly in favour of, I have to say. I struggled for these personal stories that might be relevant. In my own life, yes, fair trade, I'm a man who fights for the justice of it because I've been there at the... The, the fence where I've seen a fairly traded vineyard and where I've seen an unfairly traded vineyard and I would never buy a bottle of wine in a country where there's a possibility of the unfairly traded because I've seen the way those people are treated who work on those vineyards. So Chile, South Africa, Argentina, if I don't see a fairly traded bottle, I will not buy anything else. France, America, are the places I have to go if I go into stores that don't stop fair trade. And I have asked, there's me and my truth and justice, feeble, I'm saying to you. But it's one of the ways that I have is gone to the shopkeeper and said, you don't do fair trade in here. No, we don't. I really don't like buying anything that's not. Oh, really? What is that? Or the day that we were in Sainsbury's, my friend and I, and we said, where's the fairly traded stuff? And we found a fairly traded, and actually we found one of the bottles that come from, I think, the vineyard maybe we'd been in. And we started talking about that, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, could you tell me what you've just been talking about there? Because I have a wee bit of an issue with that. Are you telling me that this is fairly traded and that you've... And I was able to share the story, and they went off with their basket. Um, when I say full of wine, that doesn't maybe sound what a preacher... Certainly in Ballyshockney, is probably saying this morning, but you get my drift on it. What are those places where we can share? 
Actually, Green says one of them is to be a mouthpiece in your rugby club or your golf club for the use of fairly traded coffee. Writing to your MP about some bypass. Emailing a TV station about the demeaning way we treat women on television. Or going to your local supermarket and talking about some of the magazines that they might be selling there. Or defending a teacher unfairly criticised at the school gates he talks about. You're standing at the school gates, there's mothers and fathers around talking about some teacher and you're aware that your daughter thought, actually, or your son thought, that was a really good teacher. And I'm not going to listen to what they're saying because that's very unfair. So I'm going to speak truth and justice into that situation. Defending a colleague in work who's been unfairly treated. One of the stories he shared was about a student who was sitting in a lecture where another student that he didn't really know, I think, was really shut up by the professor, by the lecturer, and he felt this was wrong and went to the professor and said, I don't think you treated that student very well or very fairly. And the lecturer responded by apologizing. Where are the places on our front lines where there's a little bit of injustice, where there's maybe a little bit of playing around with the truth, Where can we bring justice to bear? Where can we bring truth to bear? Or where could we be a Nathan that would not only open up somebody to see that they're wrong, but open a doorway for redemption and grace and love to come alive on our front lines? Let's be still for a moment and seek God's spirit to maybe tell us some of those places Or maybe even we need to say that we've been unfair in what we think or say. Where we need to speak truth in. And where we could find God's redemption breaking through if we were as brave and as wise as Nathan in how we approach the injustice. Let's listen for a moment for something in your front line that this might bear relevance to. Lord, if we stop to think at all, we realize that there is much injustice in our world. Not only globally, but in that very small office that we work in. It doesn't take long to realize that gossip and rumor and putting others down and criticizing others and being unfair in our judgments of others is almost the currency of the day. Lord, as we go into our front lines tomorrow, we seek that we would be those who would stand for truth and justice, that it might open up grace and love. We pray, Lord, for Stormont in a very fragile time where there seems to be arguments over what truth and justice is and where the way those debates happen seem to be very unseemly. We pray for those who go into Stormont this week, their front line, having been in worship with us across our country today. May they be discerning like Nathan. 
may they listen to understand. And may they be strong for truth and justice, but gracious in how they approach it. We long that we would be shaped by your word, different than the nations around about. And we know that as we read Amos today, that this justice word is important in that. And so we ask your spirit to take us from here to discern what these words mean to us in our daily front lines. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.